Welcome to the Power Trends Podcast, produced by the New York Independent System Operator, where we discuss energy planning, public policy, and other issues affecting New York's power grid. Hello, and welcome to the Power Trends Podcast. I'm Kevin Lanahan, Vice President, External Affairs, Corporate Communications at the New York Independent System Operator. And today we have a very special guest, Julie Tai, who is the president of the New York League of Conservation Voters and the New York League of Conservation Voters Education Fund. She's served in this capacity since 2018. Prior to joining the League, Julie served for more than a decade at the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation, most recently as Chief of Staff. She also currently serves as the Treasurer for the Alliance for Clean Energy New York. She is also one of our newest members of the Environmental Advisory Council, which I'll describe in a minute. Julie, really thankful for you to join us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm delighted to be here, and I'm delighted to have joined the Environmental Advisory Council for the NISO. Yeah, we're excited to have you. I'll just add a couple of details for those folks that aren't aware. The Environmental Advisory Council was formed in 2005 at the ISO to provide us with information, analysis, perspectives on the evolving state and federal environmental policies, how our mission at the ISO of maintaining reliability of the bulk electric system and overseeing the competitive electric markets can be enhanced by working with a certain experts, academics, economists, and certain advocates. As we go through this great grid and transition, Julie, you are going to be an important voice on the EAC. I think what will be helpful is if we start with just the basic question for those folks that aren't aware of what the mission of the New York League of Conservation Voters is and your leadership there. Where are we taking this group and what is that organization's mission? Sure. The New York League of Conservation Voters motto is to elect for the environment. So we are the political arm of the environmental movement here in New York, where we really hold elected officials accountable for their actions on environmental policy, uh, that's clean energy policy, clean transportation policy, parks, open space. And we really try to encourage people to vote based on their environmental record. We do that through educating advocacy for clean water, clean air, clean transportation, zero waste and open space preservation sort of very broadly. The sister organization, the New York League of Conservation Voters Education Fund, really is purpose is to educate, engage, and empower New Yorkers to be effective advocates for the environment. We create white papers. For example, we did a white paper on some of the barriers to renewable energy siting a number of years ago. We use that to help inform our policy agenda and to help get policy enacted at the state level to streamline some of the challenges with siting of renewable energy. We really are trying to marry the ideas of educating the public, creating more informed voters on environmental issues, and encouraging them to vote for candidates based on where they stand on the environment. We wrap that all around with uh, the policy that we work on with a whole array of counterpart organizations across New York State. We are a statewide organization where we are especially active, where we have chapters. We do a little bit more local policy and politics on Long Island, New York City. Westchester, the capital region, and most recently we've started a chapter in central and western New York. So we're very busy people. (laughs) And a presence across the state. So there's that diversity of geography, economy, et cetera. You have a diverse board. When you hold your annual gala, you fill big halls because there's (laughs) beyond your membership, there's great interest in your agenda and the leadership of the organization. Besides the dedicated membership, who else are you working with? 
We work uh, with a lot of people in the environmental sector, obviously. You know, one of my biggest partners is Citizens Campaign for the Environment, the Natural Resources Defense Council, uh, Environmental Defense Fund, Environmental Advocates of New York. We work with industry reps for environmental justice. We work with the Building Decarbonization Coalition as one of our big emphasis is right now is how can we decarbonize our heating and cooling of buildings? That has been a big priority. We've really expanded our work with labor. We know that when labor and environment can come together and agree on things, it's a very powerful coalition. And so we've been working a lot with the plumbers and the building trades, the laborers and the AFL-CIO and on a lot of the environmental policy that we're working on. But we also think it's important to be practical and work with the industry, whatever the industry may be. As you mentioned, I'm on the board of the Alliance for Clean Energy, so we're working with clean energy companies. We do a lot of work related to buildings, so we're working with folks in the real estate industry. But we do try to have sort of this cross-pollination and make sure we're having conversations with industry because I don't want pie-in-the-sky policy that can actually be achieved. I think it's really important that we have practical things that are achievable. We need to have big stretch goals and we need to be ambitious in that stretch. But I also think we need to make sure that they are, in fact, technically achievable in a manner that's affordable. You were involved, like so many voices at the time, in the debate and discussions over the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act in 2019. I imagine you're doing work that intersects, of course, with Local Law 97 in the city. Can you give us a perspective this many years following the enactment of both of those measures, where the league is on implementation of uh, both those major landmark policies. On the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, the fact that the state went through a robust planning process with significant amount of public input, lots of stakeholders who were involved in the conversation, really setting out the roadmap for how are we going to achieve these big, bold, ambitious goals of getting to an economy that is 85% emissions reduction by 2050 and net zero, I think was really important process to go through. Um, I feel like on the energy side, (laughs) this is going to sound funny, but I always feel like the energy side is the easy part, right? You're dealing with a a community that's that's used to being regulated. It's on a path already. It was on a path, uh, at least starting, and it's been ramped up since that law has been adopted. We've built onto that law to try and address the siting of renewable energy in 2020 with the Accelerated Renewable Energy and Community Benefits Act that's starting to see uh, making it easier for us to address how quickly projects are cited for new renewable energy projects. So that is something that we think was a big policy add-on. You know, we're certainly very involved in what's happening right now with offshore wind. We're really excited that the South Fork Wind Project is going to be completed hopefully later this year. And we're supportive of advancing the other renewable energy and uh, offshore wind projects that are out there to make sure that we achieve these goals. I think the energy side, while there's still challenges, we're moving in the right direction. From a policy perspective, I think the next big thing we need to be looking at on the energy side is transmission. That to me is something that it's not happening quickly enough. It's going to be the next roadblock in order for us to get all this renewable energy to where it needs to be. There's a lot of work we need to do on buildings, which is the number one source of climate pollution in our state. So we're really excited. We worked very hard the last few years on trying to get the all-electric buildings for new construction law passed, both here in the city as well as at the state. We were excited that that got done in the budget earlier this year. That's a big step forward so that we can at least start tackling new construction. We're going to have to do some work on existing buildings at some point as well. 
So one of the new policies that we have been working on with a coalition called Upgrade New York, which is a combination of climate justice advocates, labor, the Building Decarbonization Coalition, and ourselves and some other environmental groups, is a program called Thermal Energy Networks, where we're basically taking geothermal types of energy and we're using that in a way that's at scale, that's on a neighborhood scale or utility scale not just dealing with an individual home or building. And we got a law passed in 2022 that required all the utilities to do pilots. They're currently going through a process with the Public Service Commission to get those pilots approved. And there are some really exciting and fun projects that are out there that could help to alleviate some of the concerns about grid reliability that you mentioned, Kevin. So we're talking about building that's looking at using waste heat from the subway system. We're looking at systems that can draw the heat out of wastewater before it gets into the sewer system. They're looking at projects that you can take waste heat from, for example, a data processing center that we know produces a lot of heat that generally speaking right now, it's just being vented to the outside environment. You can capture that and you can move that around so that it's connected to an apartment building, for example. We're hoping that a new, very large manufacturer upstate New York chooses to take advantage of that because we think that that would be a great opportunity to show people that we can, in fact, do these new and innovative types of heating and cooling without having to put as much pressure on the grid by simply doing all heat pumps. We need heat pumps and ground source heat pumps and air source heat pumps, but we also need these thermal energy networks that can help us to reduce that pressure on the grid. We've been advocating for the state to lead by example and to do some of their own work at their own facilities And to that end, we got a bill passed as part of the budget that the New York Power Authority is doing some evaluations about decarbonizing 15 of the top polluting facilities that the state owns. We got funding for the University of Albany, which is my alma mater, for them to decarbonize their air conditioning so that they'll be using thermal energy to do all of their cooling, which would enable them to not use any natural gas in the summertime which is really an amazing feat. And we're hoping to get more of these types of projects as we move forward. There's a lot more I think we need to do on efficiency. And we have a great opportunity right now with all the funding that's available from the federal government through the Inflation Reduction Act for people to be able to get funds to make their homes more energy efficient, which is really going to be key as we're looking at sort of how we're going to be heating and cooling in the future and how we're going to support our transportation system. We have not done nearly what we need to do on transportation. We are a little behind in that place. And that sector is an area where we know there's growth in emissions, even though there's been increases in the amount of people who are purchasing electric vehicles to just more people driving. That's going to require a number of different policies. You know, we're really excited. Last year, the state passed a law that requires all school buses to be electric by 2035. That was a long-time league priority. We're really excited about that. All the big transits have committed to moving to all-electric buses by 2040. That, I think, is really important, although there are energy challenges associated with that, considering they're large users, in particular in New York City, with the MTA having over 5,000. I think they have almost 9,000 transit buses. They have a very large fleet (laughs) to be managing, and they've already started making those moves. But we have a lot more to go. We've been advocating for a clean fuel standard for transportation for a number of years. We think that's something that could help to create the incentives that the private sector needs to make changes in their fleets, especially for medium and heavy duty vehicles. 
we're thrilled that there was so much funding for EV infrastructure and more tax credits for purchasing electric vehicles for consumers in the Inflation Reduction Act. But there's a lot more work to do. You know, Local Law 97, I think that the city is going to come out with their next round of regulations relating to how buildings can come into compliance. There are a lot of challenges. We would love to see more energy efficiency efforts happening at buildings and not just relying on renewable energy credits, although that is something that's allowed under the law. Certainly a portion of the reductions will come from that and that can have a great cross-pollination in investing in clean energy from folks who have to comply. But we'd really like to see the buildings be more energy efficient at the same time. So there's a lot going on (laughs) and just those... And just those three sectors, right? And those are big. Those are the three biggest sectors of emissions here in the state. There's a lot happening, but there's also a lot more that we need to do. That was a pretty good summary, not just of your agenda, but of everything that's happening in this space. The league, under your leadership, really endeavors to take an aggressive but also pragmatic approach to the issues. And you mentioned electric vehicles and the impact that transportation sector is having on the decarbonization efforts in the state. We issued recently our second quarter short-term assessment of reliability report, which did reveal a reliability need in New York City. So we're starting to see a little bit of an imbalance between divestiture of some of those units that we're relying on time where the system is stressed and then an adoption of new resources. Just a couple of thoughts, if you will, on that reliability aspect too, if you can. Look, no one is going to be happy if the air conditioning goes out and a heat wave. And so we need to be strategic about that. We need to make sure that offshore wind stays on track. We need to make sure that the two tier four projects stay on track. We need to remind ourselves all of our energy has costs (laughs) and renewable energy will actually have costs that's more knowable and predictable than fossil fuels have. We're seeing that right now where OPEC is making decisions that are going to impact the worldwide prices of fuel. And we have a war in Ukraine, Russia, that's significantly impacted how variable the pricing is for fossil fuels. We need to keep that in mind. The concern about reliability, we need to make sure that we are moving with all due haste to have more tools that can ensure that people are using electricity at the right times. Con Ed has started a grid rewards program where they're trying to get not just big users of energy, but individual users of energy to change some of their behavior to help provide relief for the grid. And that can be a part of what we do in particular, thinking about people, as we start ramping up EV usage, that there are more people who are charging overnight when the grid has less demand on it, but also making sure that we're deploying battery storage, that we're being smarter with how the grid is deploying so that we can reduce the amount of waste. And again, really getting those offshore wind projects into the downstate region has an opportunity to really help on that front. We do need to be careful and make sure that we're reducing those sources of pollution that are in the worst neighborhoods and are the dirtiest first so that we can see those benefits from the public health perspective um, as quickly as we can. Julie, we've always looked for new perspectives and angles from which we needed to understand or analyze the intersection of all these issues, competitive markets, new technologies, just like you're articulating here, environmental implications, your expertise, the intersection you find yourself with the organization in this industry is going to be incredibly helpful. I appreciate your time here today. This is a tremendous run through 
of not just, like I said, all the issues that we're encountering in the industry, but how your focus on them is going to be helpful to us at the Environmental Advisory Council. So thanks for your time today, and we look forward to working with you. Great. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm delighted to be joining. Thank you for joining us. As a reminder, the New York Independent System Operator, NISO for short, is responsible for reliably managing New York's power grid and energy markets and providing independent data to policymakers and the public. For more independent info, please visit the NISO blog at www.nyiso.com blog.